You guys want me to sit or to, to stand up? Just want to remind you, I was walking today for an hour and a half, but if you ask me to stand, it's okay. Yeah, you felt bad for me. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Okay, so tonight I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the background of the story of Hanukkah on a historic level, what exactly happened, and I would call it the story of Hanukkah that they didn't teach you in school, okay? Because we are very confused in terms of dates and locations and what happened first, what happened next, and hopefully after telling you the actual story or the background of the story, we'll get to the point of the celebration of Hanukkah because I'm sure you guys are all excited for Hanukkah to be tomorrow night because you're going to get a new PlayStation. You're going to get a new PlayStation? Ready? No? Okay. Or maybe a new iPhone. Do you know what you're going to get already? Oh, nice. Very good. I know, I have to give a lot this Hanukkah. I have a lot of kids, Baruch Hashem. So it's a beautiful holiday. Also, we know that we're going to have the nice donuts, right? And we're going to have some parties around. And we're going to light the candles. That's also a thing we do, right? right it's the most important thing that we do. Uh, but question is why? Why do we do that? What exactly happened? And most people think that it's just about a story of some good guys who fought against some bad guys, and the good guys and the good guys won, right? And the bad guys died, or they just went away. So well, we're so happy. So hopefully, after this class, it's going to be a little more than that. I'm going to start the story of Hanukkah from the very, very beginning. You know that we had two Beit Hamikdash, we had two temples. The first one was destroyed. And after this, the destruction of the first temple, we had the story of Purim, Mordechai and Esther. The story of Purim did, did not happen in Israel. It happened in Persia. 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 Very good. Okay, in the city of Shushan. And the story happened with which nation in Persia? The Persians. Persians. Very good. Were the Persians good with Jews? No. No? No? Beginning they were. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, 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 yes. Beginning they were with the Cyrus cylinder. Oh, so let's focus on that beginning part, right? Ahasuerus who married Esther, and then they had a son or a grandson by the name of Kurosh or Koresh in Hebrew, and this man initiated the rebuild, the, the reconstruction of the Beit Hamikdash, the Second Temple. So they were technically really, really good with us, those Persians actually pushed with the help of the prophet Nehemiah and Ezra HaSofer for the reconstruction of the temple. And many, many Jews went back to Eret Israel and they lived in Eret Israel and the Persians were pretty nice with them. So things worked out for a number of years. But the world moved. Things changed in the world. And there was a country called Greece, Right? or Macedonia. There were really two parts there. They started to grow. There was a man by the name of Alexander the Great. Very good. Alexander the Great was very ambitious. He was very smart. And he was a brilliant, brilliant strategist in terms of military warfare. And he started to conquer lands all over the place, all over the world. Mark, you look great, man. Shavuot, Tzadik. 
So, um, Alexander the Great, yeah, you, you, can, you can see, you know, he's not happy, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so, Alexander the Great started to conquer many, many lands. And to give you a little bit more of a perspective of what happened in terms of the Jewish people in Eretz Israel, the Persians were good with us, and Alexander, that really fought against the Persians, was even better. Which means that he issued some kind of, a, not, a, not a passport, but I would say he, he, he really promoted the concept of the return of the Jews to Eretz Israel. Not all the Jews went back to Eretz Israel by the time of Ezra. Many Jews actually refused to go back. I don't know if you heard about the Jews of Jerba. So my parents are coming from Tunisia. You know what Tunisia is? Yeah, it's in, yeah. Tunisia played in the World Cup, if you don't know. Tunisia is under Africa. It's North Africa, very good. Okay, so the Jews in Tunisia stayed there for almost over 2,000 years. They were Jews that came from the after the destruction of the, the, the Beit HaMikdash, the first Beit HaMikdash, and they did not return to Eret Israel for the second temple. Okay? Now, Alexander the Great tried to really promote the return of Jews to Eret Israel. And at that time, at that time, there was a group of Jews called the Samaritans in English. In Hebrew, we call them the Shamronim, that's true. Or in the time of the Gemara, the Kutiyim, okay? We call them the Kutiyim. They were very controversial Jews. They had issues with the temple itself. They were not okay to have the Beit HaMikdash. And by the way, if you Google it until today, there is about a thousand of these people called the Samaritan Jews who do not believe in the Beit HaMikdash. And instead... Hi, guys. High school, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. My this is your brother? Michael. Michael, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Very nice. Have a seat, Hello, Michael. Excellent. Feel comfortable. So the Samaritans had instead a different vision of where we are supposed to worship God. And that's a mountain called Har Gerizim. Have you heard about Har Gerizim? Yeah. Okay, so it is actually uh, a little bit north Jerusalem. Um, and uh, until today, they go there and they have a whole regel, which means they are pilgrims and they go mamash almost Avodazara. Now, these guys, they try to put their agendas at the time of Alexander the Great to convince him to destroy the temple. And they use many, many arguments. They said, you know, you fought against the Persians. Guess who built that temple? The Persians. So, the Jews who build the temple are not really your friends. They are the Persians' friends. And they came up with all kinds of claims against observant Jews, like you and me, that they were really doing things against him or against the Greeks' policy. And he accepted, at some point, to destroy the Beit HaMikdash. And he himself came, according to the Gemara, all the way to the gates of Yerushalayim, and that morning that he arrived, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, came out 
from the Beit HaMikdash, because the Sanhedrin was actually installed in the Beit HaMikdash itself, in a chamber called the Lishkat HaGazit, and in the head of that delegation was the actual Kohen Gadol. The name of the Kohen Gadol was Shimon HaTzadik. Very good. Shimon, I can't say it as well as you did. But I love it. I love it. Shimon HaTzadik came out to greet the king, Alexander the Great, who was an emperor, who was really, really uh, feared and respected by everyone. And the emperor was also, you know, with a bunch of those kutim of Samaritan Jews, he got off his horse and he kissed the feet of the Kohen Gadol, of Shimon Tzadik. And everybody was like, what? Why would you do such a thing? And Alexander the Great himself said, every night before battle, the face of this man comes to my dreams and I know for a fact that I win the next one. I win the next battle. Every time I am victorious in the battle, the night before the victory, I see the face of this man, which means that he has everything to do with it. And by the way, you should know that indeed the Beta Mikdash and the Kohen Gadol was not just a place for Jews. The Bohem also were allowed to send korbanot. As the Pasuk says, Ki beti bet tefila yikare for all nations, right? And at that point, it was a complete turnover. They killed all those Kutiyim, all those Samaritans who were plotting against the Hachamim. And it was a beautiful, beautiful time for the Jews in Eret Israel. Once again, during the second, the beginning of the second Beit HaMikdash. Unfortunately, this did not last for long. Because Alexander the Great died very young. He was only... 33. How do you know that? Very nice. I hope I'm not saying things, only things that you guys know. Hopefully I, you'll, you'll get to the part where you probably don't know about. 33 years old. You are right. 33 years old he was out and he had such power at the time that his death created what we call a vacuum of leadership. A vacuum of leadership means... That there is so much to govern, there is so much to control that everybody wants to share, and they started to really fight over that position. Who's going to take what? And at some point, at some point, there were two main empires around Eret Israel that were controlled by two different kings. One was in the south, in Egypt. Okay, so Egypt was. Still by, very good, by the control of Alexander, by, by the control of the Greeks, or Greece, by a king called Ptolemy, very good. There was Ptolemy the first, the second, the third, and the fourth. The story of Hanukkah will wait until the fourth. And uh, there is a very famous city in Egypt called Alexandria. Many Jews, by the way, who are Egyptian Jews in our community are coming from Alexandria, right? Mark, your parents. Your parents are from Cairo. Very good. The two main cities in Egypt. By the way, did you know that those Jews were forced to go to Egypt by Ptolemy, who had control over Eret Israel at that time, and he forced the Jews to stay there and to build communities. And that's why they still stay there until very, very late. 
the Jewish settlement in Egypt started at that time and became very, very, very um, prosper. Right? There were hundreds of thousands of Jews at that time, and he even did not let them, he did not let them go back to Eretz Israel. So Cairo and Alexandria, they were the two main cities. And uh, the king was Ptolemy. It was all fine. And there was another kingdom, okay, again from those, I'm going to call them the, the Greek slash Syrians, okay, the north, very good. That was, that was controlled by a guy named, king named Seleucus, exactly. And here is what happens. When you have two different kingdoms, okay, that are not too far from each other, they always, that's right, they always try to gain more land and to gain more power. And Eret Israel, the Jews, were exactly, if you look at the map, it's unbelievable, they were exactly in the center, in the middle of those tensions. Truth is that the king of Egypt, for many, many years, was very good to the Jews. And he tried to really understand our religion and our culture. The Gemara talks about the famous story of the king asking seven little hachamim to translate the Torah to Greek. That was for the first time that the Torah was translated. How do we call that text? There's a name for that in English that I don't write. So those 72 rabbis, they were in 72 chambers. And they all translated the Torah in Greek. And then he compared all the translations. The Gemara said that there was a miracle that they actually translated exactly the right, the same way, even though in many, many areas the translation was very, very sensitive. For example, they did not translate Bereshit bara Elohim as in the beginning, God created. created. Right? Because when you say Bereshit bara Elohim, it seems that Bereshit is God that created Elohim. So they inversed that in many, many spots. So they said Elohim bara Bereshit. That's how they did it. In many areas in the Torah, they did it, and they all did it exactly the same way. That was an absolute miracle. But nevertheless, the Hachamim viewed this uh, initiative as a very, very dark and dangerous initiative because it would not bring us close. It would not bring our religion closer to the Goim, but the opposite effect would happen, that the Goim now were able to view the Torah as just another book in the library, no more science or no more type of knowledge. And at the same time, the Jews became closer to their culture because now that the Torah is in Greek, then it becomes a way to be more modern, not in a good way, but to really try to assimilate to the going to the non-Jewish culture. Now, this really started with this king Ptolemy, a movement of assimilation that was much, much greater than before. So even though the Jews had children named Alexander after Alexander the Great, because they really had the utmost respect for him. And even if they had Antignos, Antignos Ish Soho, who was a student of Shimon at Sadiq, these are very, very Greek-oriented names. Now, with the translation of the Torah under this king, the Jews became more and more assimilated. And that's going to actually play a big role in what happened next.
So like I was saying before, the king of Egypt, Ptolemy, and um, the king of Syria started to really fight over the land. Technically speaking, Yerushalayim, the Beit HaMikdash, was under control of the king of Egypt. But the king of Syria became very, very jealous. And at some point, Ptolemy III, I think, died. And the fourth was too young to reign and govern. And there was a perfect momentum for the Assyrians to take over the entire region, including Yerushalayim and even further. It should have been a very, very easy war. But guess what? It didn't work. Not the Jews. The Jews actually were forced to finance, to finance the uh, soldiers and the uh, agenda of the Assyrian king at the time and they accepted to do it. They had no problem. At this point, this is before, eh, Sami? That was actually before the story of Hanukkah. To see you, man. Shavuot The Jews were not very happy about it, but they said, okay, we'll, we'll do it. Unfortunately, because those Assyrians did not win the war, they didn't blame it on the strength of the Egyptians. They did not blame it on the fact that they lacked strategy or they thought that it would be too easy. They said instead that it's the Jews' fault. Exactly. Very good. This is what we call history repeating itself. And they said, well, it's no coincidence that the Jews are exactly in the middle. It is probably because the Jews do not accept our culture and our gods. So our job right now is to force our culture upon them. And the saddest part is that they already had allies in Judah. Why they had allies? Because Jews already at the time, thanks to the help to King Ptolemy of Egypt, already built in Eret Israel gymnasiums, theaters, even in Yerushalayim itself, places of uh, complete, you know, uh, Greek culture oriented. And those Jews were very, very, very favorable to the concept of Greek culture. They loved it. They embraced it. And not just, you know, for their music or for the entertainment, but their laws themselves, which means that they would not keep Shabbat, they would not keep kosher. They really decided to assimilate, you know, just like Jews today, who don't keep anything because they completely embraced the American culture. They even installed at the time a Kohen Gadol in the Beit HaMikdash by the name of Menelaus. And this guy reduced the service much more to the point that he completely cancelled the Avodat HaKohanim, which means that without even the Assyrians coming to push you know, their agenda on the Jews to force them to accept their idols and their gods, they already had a Kohen Gadol at the time who was anti-Hachamim and anti-Torah. They at the same time also placed in the... There was also a, 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 some kind of a governor by the name of Apostemus. Apostemus 
burnt a Sefer Torah on the 17th of Tammuz. It's one of the five reasons why we fast on that day. This all happened just before the story of Hanukkah itself as part of the agenda of the Greeks to push the Jews, to push away you know, our religion before anything else was imposed. And the Jews did it gladly. Some Jews did it gladly. And they even put a, uh, a statue of Zeus in the middle of the Hechal. Okay, so that was really... And again, that was with the help of Jews themselves. Jews themselves who were Greeks and sympathizers, or they just embraced that culture and were not interested by the Torah, helped the Greeks do that. When the Greeks, the Assyrians, realized that it still wasn't enough, they said, that, great, so we have those, you know, those Jews who are with us, but what, what about the others? This is not enough. We don't want just to have 30, 40, or even 50% of the Jews of Judea that collaborate with us. We want everybody to accept the rules. And the only way to do it is to make the Torah illegal. And at that point, this is where the story of Hanukkah really starts. They forbid the Jews to keep Shabbat. They were not allowed to keep kosher. No, sorry, not kosher. They were not allowed to keep Rit Milah. They were not allowed to observe Rosh Chodesh. Those three, by the way, they were punishable by death. And they were also not allowed to study Torah. So the Torah that was before that embraced by the Greek as a beautiful, interesting book, now the Torah was absolutely illegal. And furthermore, they even put decrees, very, very sad and cruel decrees, that a bride on her wedding day would have to be kidnapped, or would have to basically surrender to the local official and spend the night with him before being with her husband. And that was just a way of taking completely uh, the moral of the Jews and to really show them that without them accepting the Greek laws and the Greek gods, they would have absolutely no way out. At that time, Jews, the Jews realized that the situation really worsened. And remember again, this all happened because the Assyrian Greeks were not able to defeat the Egyptian Greeks. And we were in the middle. And we were blamed for their defeat. You understand, right? At some point, the Jews decided to run away from the big cities. Yerushalayim, Tsipori, and all those places. And they were instead hiding in caves. Not just the suburbs, but actually in inside caves, underground. I don't know if you guys ever went to Eretz Israel in those tours. I went this summer and I experienced what it was to live like a Hashemona'i at that time in tunnels. You have actual tunnels. It's around the area of Modi'in, not too far from Yerushalayim. And you can actually experience and you see the pottery and the vessels that they used to have in the time of the Hashmonaim. It's incredible. It's so scary and it's almost impossible to put ourselves in their shoes and to imagine that this is the way they live. As difficult as it was for them, some Jews decided enough is enough. And we can't live like that. We can't be escaping and you know, being underground our whole life. 
And little by little, what happened was that there were some single events that let the rebellion, you know, take roots and rise. Not on the national level, but in small groups. And the story that we know most, you know, of is the story of the family of Matityahu. Matityahu was a Kohen Gadol, and he was coming from the, the family of Hashmonai, Hashmonai, depending on the Yerfa that you have in the Al Hanisim. And this Matityahu was marrying off a daughter. Marrying off a daughter by the name of Yehudit. Yehudit was not a regular daughter. And on the day of the wedding, she exposed herself to the crowd. And everybody was like, what? How can you do such a thing? You're the daughter of the Kohen Gadol. And then she said to all the guests, you guys pretend to be so religious and bothered by what I'm doing. And you know all very well that I am condemned to spend the night with this Arel, with, this, with the governor, the, you know, the local official. And nobody says anything about it. So why do you care so much right now? And her reaction started to really, you know, make people very angry. She was taken. And that night, according to our, you know, to our books, it looks like she gave him some milk and cheese. He was a little tired in a way. It looks like, I think that even according to science, the milk is supposed to, you know, uh, make you uh, tired. Yeah, uh, they say some wine. I know. I know you have different versions in that story, but the, the 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 final part was that she actually chopped his head off, and she came out from his uh, castle, whatever it is, you know, this way, and that really showed people, you know, what you know Jewish rebellion should be looking like, especially that a woman did it. By the way, for that specific reason, the mitzvah of Hanukkah is not just for men. Even though you guys know there is a concept called mitzvah asesha hazeman gerama, which means that if a mitzvah that is bound, a positive commandment that is bound to time is only commanded upon men, right? Ladies don't have to wear tefillin or tzitzit or say the Shema, right? Hanukkah should have been the same. But it's not. Why? Because especially with the story of Yehudit, they took part in the miracle and the rebellion. Following the story, some days or weeks later, the Greeks came to the village of this Yehudit. And they forced the Jews to bring a korban to Zeus, to their idol. There was a guy there who was, you know, a Greek, you know, a sympathizant. And he said, yeah, I'll do it, no problem. And Matityahu stabbed this person to death. How can you? How dare you in my village to do Avodah Zarah? And all his sons at this point stabbed all the Greeks present and all the Jews that were for it, all the Hellenists that were for that. And at that moment, the rebellion was born. But they did not operate as a national movement. It was only through what they call guerrilla. You know what guerrilla means? That it was like small, exactly, small groups of Jews, okay, always attacking and pushing, fighting against the enemy. They knew the place more than anyone else. And a year later, they were already able to gain control over Yerushalayim. 
It took them just a year to do it with tremendous efforts, okay, and tremendous mesirut nefesh, okay, to resist the Greek oppression, the, the Assyrians' oppression, and they took Yerushalayim. And this is where the story of Hanukkah actually happened, where getting to Yerushalayim, they wanted to restart the service of the Beit HaMikdash, starting by what? The lining of the menorah. Technically speaking, they didn't have to look for pure oil. Why? Because the halakha says that you don't need to light the menorah with, with olive oil that is pure if everybody is impure, if everyone is tamer. And that was okay. Huh? Five minutes. Thank you. However, they said, we had so many miracles. Hashem did so much for us. We're not here to cut corners. That's not why we are here for. And they looked for that little jar, they, you know, for that oil. They found the little jar. And by Hashem, by miracle, it should, have, it should have lasted only for one day. It lasted for eight days. And it was so special because that's exactly how much time you need to produce new pure olive oil according to the process of purification for men and for the actual products. That's why we light the Nerot Hanukkah, for that moment of Mesirut Nefesh. We do not cut corners. But the war itself was not over. Which means at the time that they, you know, found the menorah and lit it, guess what? The Greeks were still attacking. The war was far from over. And it took them another... 20 years after the story of the olive oil to actually regain control, full control on Eret Israel and to have full independence. Didn't we like, I heard, I heard from many people that like, we didn't even win. Like, At the time of the olive oil miracle, the victory was not ours yet. We just regained control on Yerushalayim. But remember that Judea was much bigger than no, that. I mean, no, no, I heard like even after the whole 20 years, like the entire world war. So I maybe what you heard is that it didn't last. And the truth is that the, the Gemara is very, is criticizing a lot of Hashmonaim to the point that today there are none of them None of them that are still, you know, from their families. The Hashmonaim family completely disappeared with time. There is no one that's left from them. And the reason for that is because they should have given the power, political power, to Yehuda. And they came from Kohanim, which is Shevet Levi. So we really criticize them. They don't even have their own Masechet. They are part of Masechet Shabbat, unlike Megillah, right? Megillah. For the story of Purim, they have their own, right? With their own Masechet. Hanukkah does not. Because of that reason. And the saddest part is that eventually, after the victory of the Hashmonaim, many Jews became even more assimilated to... Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that this class was sponsored in honor of you. Thank you. By Jack and Margaret Sharma and Mike Sharma. He's not here, but uh, yeah. Here. All right. So, thank you. I thank appreciate you that. A pleasure. Thank you for sharing. Um, and uh, what I wanted to say is, most importantly, that even if that victory, you can see how, you know, the first, first of all, the idea of history repeating itself, where you have some international crisis that has absolutely nothing to do with us, 
that is at some point connected to us. This is not the first time. You, you read through history, whatever event that seemed completely unconnected, disconnected from us, always has consequences upon us. And that's the story of Galut, which is reflected in the story of Hanukkah. But most importantly, the important part is to realize that even though, like you said, this victory did not last forever. The second Betamikdash was still destroyed. But for that time being, the Hashmonaim decided that it's time to make a difference, that it's time to have an impact, that it's time to stand for what is right, for our Torah, for our values. And that's what we celebrate on Hanukkah. We know that today we live in a world that is not perfect. We know that today we have so much right, to talk about and to fight with. If it's ideas that are against the Torah, if it's pressure, if it's the Yetzahara, and sometimes it seems that it's impossible, but the light of the menorah that, we, you know, that we're going to keep for the next eight days is just a reminder that the strongest, the darkness, and the more impact the light has. Which means that it doesn't really make a difference how much darkness there is around you. And sometimes the more darkness, the tiniest light will make a difference. Which is why the mitzvah of Hanukkah is not necessarily eight lights. It's one light per night. But realize that you have to grow. Everything. It's better to grow. Because the point of the miracle is to say, that my light will become an inspiration for someone else. And his light will become an inspiration for much more. And it's never diminishing. You take a candle and you light another one, you never lose from the first one. And that's the way that the Torah, the tradition that we have work. It doesn't make a difference how much pressure we're going to have. I'm sure you guys are aware or have heard about this menorah in Germany by the window that is just you know, next to the Nazi flag in 1933, just when Hitler came to power, right? And in that same spot that he was preaching anti-Semitism and hatred against Jews, seven years later, the Chabad rabbi of Germany was invited by the chancellor, the German chancellor, to light the menorah in front of everyone. And that's again a show that Jews went through some terrible, terrible events. But in the end, the light always wins. In the end, we don't see it right away, but in the end, in the same place that so much evil came out, now there is light. Not only there is light, there is an invitation for us to be there and to light in the same spot, the menorah that was you know, the symbol of you know, our identity and our, and our fight. So this is, you know, this is an idea that we have, like I said, to remember from the historical background of what happened on Hanukkah. Ba'ezrat Hashem, this year, hopefully we should be the last one that we light the Hanukkah, you know, in our homes. And we should be able, after the holiday, by this year, to light the menorah inside the Beit HaMikdash. This is really the wish that we should have. Remember that that will happen when we make that effort and hopefully we'll see that beautiful result. Amen. Can you hear us? Thank you for being here. Have an amazing night, guys. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you.
Yeah, yeah, yeah.